Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. In Scripture, the Bible and the Christian life is likened to a few different ideas. We find often that the Christian life is referred to uh, as like a farmer who is seeking to develop and grow crops. Jesus used that often. He talked in agriculture terms. In another spot, we, we see Paul likes to use the illustration of a runner who is running a race, and he's pressing toward the mark, looking to uh, achieve the prize, or whatever it may be, an Olympian runner. As Christians, we should be running the race that is set before us, pressing toward the mark, like Paul said. In the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, Paul doesn't liken it to a race. He's not going to liken it to agriculture. He's actually going to liken it to a fight. He likens the Christian life to a fight, not a video game, not a day at Disneyland. He likens it to a fight. There's struggle involved. And he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. He's going to encourage Timothy. He's going to say, Timothy, I want you to stay focused on the fight at hand. I want you to stay locked in on the task at hand. He says, if you lock in on the right things, then it's going to change what you see around you. If you lock in on the right thing, then it's going to change your actions down here on this earth. Something that came to my mind, actually pretty exciting news, is this past Thursday, I recently bought a new car. Let's see, you got that B? Right there. That's it. I recently bought a new car. Pretty big news for me, and it's a Volkswagen Atlas. And this, just, just this past Thursday, I bought it. In fact, I test drove it the Friday before, and uh, I had no intentions of buying an Atlas. It wasn't like, this is a car I just love, the mom car. I mean, it's not something I'm just in love with. It's not... It wasn't something I've been desiring, but just looking through different cars, and, and I saw a pretty good deal, and I, I liked the look of it. Pretty spacious. It's, it's a mom car. It's what it is. It's the truth. But uh, as I saw, I test drove it, and it's pretty interesting that everywhere I seem to go, I seem to see the Atlas. I remember I was driving to the dentist on Monday, and literally, there's two spots for the dentist, and I pulled in, and right next to me, the Volkswagen Atlas right there. I'm driving on the freeway. I see the Volkswagen Atlas. I was taking Trey to his football game, and I saw it. But it wasn't just the same model. It was literally the, like the same year, the same color, the same wheels, everything. I said, Trey, right there. That's the one I test drove, right there. And he looked at me. He says, are you going to keep saying it? <laughs> so I've said it a few different times. I said, man, that's the Atlas. That's the car. And it's interesting, it's not a car I've been desiring, it's not a car I've been looking for, it's not my dream car, but as I began to set my sights on the Atlas, it changed what I saw around me. And I believe that this is a similar idea that we're going to look at today. And Paul is going to be talking to Timothy and challenging him that if you'll keep your eyes fixed on the right things, it's going to change what you see around you. It's going to change the way that you live your life and the way that you interact with the people around you. If you have your Bibles, if you could turn to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy in chapter number 6, we'll be in verse number 12, 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse number 12. And so Paul is writing to Timothy as 
we just talked about and challenging him to lock in on the right things. To lock in on the right things, and that's going to change the way that he lives his life. 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse number 12. I hear some pages still turning. I think, all right, I think most of us are there. 1 Timothy 6, 12. If you would, the first six words, if you'd read that aloud with me. Ready? Begin. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things. I lost my spot. There we go. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is going to be challenging Timothy with this idea, and it's the title of my message, Focus in the Fight. Focus in the Fight. He's going to challenge Timothy to lock in, to get focused, to get serious on the task at hand, because we're living for a different place, for the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, the focus in the fight. And so today, I've seen three divisions to help us focus in the fight. Three ways that will help us as we seek to fight the good fight that is before us. If you look at verse number five, we're going to read, this is going to be the longest chunk of scripture we'll read, but verse number five, and we're going to read all the way through verse number 11. This is what the Bible says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with consent. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many hurtful and foolish lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith." and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. The first division I see is what we must flee from. See, before Paul gets to what we need to focus on in this fight, he's going to warn about some things we should not focus on, what we need to flee from in our Christian life. If you notice right there at the, at the end of verse 5, it says, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. At this time, there were false teachers who were uh, using religion as a means for financial, financial gain, and they were saying uh, that somehow, you know, if you, you've had this certain amount of money, that means you, you're godly. That means you're holy in the sight of God. And he's saying, Timothy, from such withdraw thyself. I, I don't want you even to get close. He's not telling him, Timothy, I don't want you to preach that doctrine. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, Timothy, I don't want you to preach that doctrine. If you notice, it says, from such, withdraw thyself. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to get away from those people. And so what we must flee from first, I see wrong people. Wrong people. That's the first thing we need to flee from. From such, withdraw thyself. He's saying, it's, it's not enough to just not teach that doctrine. I don't want you with those people. So what we must flee from is, is the wrong people. If we continue reading, he, he gives us a definition of contentment. He says, having food and arraignment, let us be there with content. You've got food on, on your table and clothes on your back, that's enough for contentment. 
I think about the verse that Paul said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. If there was a man who could teach us a thing or two about contentment, I think it was this man right here, the Apostle Paul. I believe it was this man. He, he was content in the state that he was in. And so I wrote down this, when we are not content or, or when we are not satisfied with what God has given us or where he has placed us, that is discontentment. When we are not satisfied with what God has given us or where he has placed us, that is discontentment. And so I see this, but they that will be rich. If you look at verse 9, but they that will be rich. It's this idea of desiring to be rich. I mean, you, you've got to have the next best thing. You've got to have financial freedom. You've got to have the brand new iPhone, or, or you've got to have the brand new pair of shoes, or you've got to have that brand new car, or you've got to have the, the big new house, or you've got to get that promotion. I mean, that's what consumes you, is the desire to be rich. They that will be rich. It's what drives your thoughts. It's what you pursue. Fall into temptation in a snare. And so what we must flee, we must flee the wrong people. But secondly, I see we must flee the wrong priorities. The wrong priorities. I mean, it's you're consumed by it. You've got to have the next greatest thing. You've got to have the, the next big thing. That is what your life is centered around. And so the wrong priorities. It says you fall into temptation in a snare. And I said, discontentment is what triggers the trap. That's what, that's what a snare is. It's a trap. Discontentment is what triggers the trap. And then what does that trap lead to? It leads to foolish and hurtful lusts or desires. That's what it leads to. And then those lead to which drown men in destruction and perdition. And so a life of discontentment triggers the trap. And that trap leads to foolish and hurtful desires, which lead to a life of destruction and ruin. And Paul is saying, Timothy, I need you to flee from that. I need you to flee from the wrong priorities. Verse number 10 says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. You've heard this taught before, that it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Well, finally, the, the last thing I wrote down is the wrong view of possessions. The wrong view of possessions kind of goes hand in hand with the last one, wrong priorities, but the wrong view of possessions. I mean, constantly putting things and material things but that are not in their place. I think those who live in Southern California, California may understand this better than anybody. I mean, this is what drives a lot of people's lives, is I've got to have the next greatest thing. And he said, I want you to flee from this wrong view of possessions. It says, for the love money is the root of all evil. Verse number 10, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. And this word erred is the Greek word apoplenaho. Apoplenaho, the definition, to lead astray, passively to stray. I found this interesting in my study, is that the strain that takes place in our faith, it's not even active or intentional. It's a passive strain. It's not like we're, we're trying to walk away from the faith. It's not like we're trying to, to get far from God. But as we begin to, to be discontent with what God has given us and with what he's placed us, then the natural, inevitable response is a strain in our faith. That's what the natural response is. You have erred from the faith. It's passive. It's not like you're trying to. You're slowly drifting from the faith when we are discontent. And this is why discontentment is so damaging. It's because it takes our eyes off of Christ 
and what he's given us and what he's done for us, and it puts it on the things that we feel he has not given us and that we feel he has not placed us or he's not given us that job yet or he's not done this for me here or he's not shown up here. And it takes our eyes off of, look what he's done for me to, man, I don't have any of this. And that's why it's so damaging because then that leads to a passive strain in the faith. It closes with this, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. If someone decided to take a knife and just stab themselves, I mean, what, what, what do you, no one does that. Who, who stabs themselves for no reason? No one, no one does that. But what Paul's saying is, when you don't flee from discontentment, you're hurting yourself and you don't even know it. You're hurting yourself and you don't even know it. I need you to get out of there. And he, he finishes, or starts verse 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. And so first we're talking about what we must flee from. And that idea of flee is to escape or to vanish. I mean, to, to get away from it as fast as possible, to, to get out of there. I was thinking, I don't know if the lens are here. Oh, they are right there. I see Abby and uh, I'm, I'm going to tell a story tonight about Nate. Some of you guys know Nate. He uh, went to the school here. We graduated in the same class together. And I'm going to tell you a story. I don't want you to hold against me, all right? This story took place in seventh grade, all right? Seventh grade. My parents, when I was in this stage, they called it the junior high stage. All, I mean, I heard it all, all the time. Oh, he's just in his junior high stage. He's in his junior high stage. But my junior high stage didn't last for like three or six months. Mine was a year or two or three. I'd, I don't know. It was just a long, it was a, it was a brutal period for me. It was brutal. I was on my bed all the time. I was getting sent to my room. I was just in trouble a lot. I, I was just, I was just not a, the brightest kid during that time. I was just, I, I was just, my brain was not working. And so I could think back to a time in PE. And me and Nate were good buddies. And if you knew me in seventh grade, I was one of the shortest in my class, if not the shortest. My voice was probably the highest out of anyone. I mean, I was just this tiny, skinny little kid. And Nate at the time, he wasn't a giant, but he had a little bit of, of meat to him. He had a little bit of height to him. We were good friends. We were sitting in PE. And again, I don't know where I got this idea from, but Nate's in front of me in the stretching line. We're touching our toes. And somehow this thought came into my mind. I don't know if one of my friends told me from behind me or if my brain was just all over the place and I thought this would be a good idea, but I thought it would be hilarious. I thought this would be hilarious if I just, as hard as I possibly could, wound up and kicked Nate as hard as I possibly could while we were stretching. I don't know where I got this idea, but I thought it was gonna be the funniest thing in the world. And he's gonna be dying laughing and I'm gonna be dying laughing and the whole PE class is gonna erupt in laughter. And I don't know if I had a sense of reason at that time to, to stop, but I remember I did that. I did that, and I don't know when it clicked in my brain that that was not a good idea, but I remember I wound up and I kicked him, I'm telling you, as hard as I possibly could. I kicked him, he fell to the ground. And I remember Nate looked up to me, and we've been friends for a little bit. That was the most furious I had seen Nate in my entire life. The most furious, I had never seen him that mad. Nate's a pretty chill guy. He was so mad, he was ticked. I could see it in his face, and I think the realization set in like, oh no, I should not have done that. And I see him start to get up. I could tell this guy's going to start trying to chase after me. And can I tell you what I did? I didn't say, Nate, 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 stop, stop. Nate, let's talk it out. Let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. I didn't say that. I didn't slowly start jogging away from him. Can I tell you what I did as I booked it as fast as I could the other direction? I could tell he was furious. And so I took off running as fast as I possibly could. I was trying to get out of there. I was trying to escape. I was trying to vanish. And I think this is the idea of that word flee. 
I want you to get out of there. Timothy, I don't want you to just set up guardrails. Timothy, I don't want you to just be on guard for it when it comes. No, I want you to get away from it. I want you to get away from the wrong people. I want you to get away from the wrong priorities. I want you to get away from the wrong view of possessions because those lead to a passive straying in our faith. Slowly, passively, the inevitable response is we're going to stray in our faith if we are discontent. We don't flee. So, firstly, what we should flee from. Secondly, I see this, what we must follow after. If you look, verse 11, it says this, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. That word follow is the Greek word dioko, and it's the idea to pursue, to press forward. It's the idea of a chase, the pursuit after, and it's saying, I want you to pursue after something. And so I wrote this down. What Paul is saying to Timothy, I don't merely want you to run away from something, I want you running towards something. If you see it, it says, flee these things and follow, and follow. And the Christian life isn't only about avoiding the wrong, it's about pursuing what's right. I say one more time, I think the quote's up there, that's a powerful quote that that I was studying, and the Christian life is not only about avoiding the wrong, it is about pursuing the right. And so Paul is saying, yes, I want you to flee these things and follow, and follow. It's like this, I don't know in California how many giant pristine lawns we have, but maybe some of you have a a small lawn in the front of your your house or in in the backyard, or maybe you garden a little bit. Let me ask you this. How hard is it, how hard do you have to work for weeds to sprout up? Pretty difficult, huh? You have to work pretty hard for that? You don't have to work for that. That happens naturally, right? Weeds sprout up naturally. The grass begins to get overgrown naturally. If you want a pristine lawn that when people drive by, man, he's got a nice lawn. He's got a nice backyard. That garden is beautiful. It's gonna take some work. It's not the natural thing. It's going to take some more. You have to water. You're going to have to pluck those weeds. You're going to have to get out the mower and mow the lawn. You're going to have to get out the edger and edge the lawn. It takes some work. And in a similar sense, in our Christian life, the natural thing is a slow drifting from God. But if we want a passionate, fervent relationship with God, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some work. It's an active pursuit. It's not going to happen naturally. It's an active pursuit. So the erring in our faith, that comes natural. We don't have to work for it, but the following takes work. And so what should we follow? We should follow after righteousness. That's that's doing what's right. We, We understand that. We should follow godliness, being more like God, and being more like Jesus. Faith, trusting God even when we don't see it, even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't always know what the outcome's gonna look like. Fourthly, love. Think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. What it looks like to have true, genuine love like Jesus loved us. It's gonna take some work. Patience, for all being honest in this room, I know some are more natural at it than others, but is patience a natural thing in a lot of our lives? It's not for me, for sure. That's not, that's not the natural thing is, 
I'm just, I'm, I'm chilling with waiting and, and getting put on hold and waiting three hours for this roller coaster. That's not the natural thing in our life. The natural thing is not patience. In fact, the opposite is true, is impatience. Would you just hurry up? I'm at McDonald's and, and you, you're getting my food out in five minutes. I need it in three. Come on, let's, let's hurry this up. You're, that's the natural thing is impatience. Impatience, but working on being patient and then meekness, having self-control. And Paul is saying, it's going to take some work. It's a pursuit. It's a chase. It's, it's going to take some effort on your part. The young adults, we just had an activity, a scavenger hunt. I don't know if you guys ever go to the beach. You see those bikes that four people need to ride, and it's like a cart. And you got four people who need to ride, two in the front, two in the back, and then you're pedaling, and you're pedaling, and you're pedaling, you're exhausted, and you're out of breath, and you've gone 25 feet. You know what I'm talking about? Those bikes, those, I hate those things. I hate those things. Actually, these bikes weren't terrible, but the ones at the beach, I just hate them. They're just, they're just a pain. And I remember, I'm a pretty competitive guy, all right? So if you give me a competition, I'm going to get into it. And I was into this scavenger hunt. I wanted to win the $1 trophy that you got at the end. I wanted to win at Chase's right here. We were in a group together. And one of the things we had to find was a county employee, all right? It wasn't just any employee. It was these rangers almost that had like these full-on brown suits that they were wearing. And you had to find one of these. And I had seen a couple, but they were far off in the distance. And I remember we were getting close to the end. And I see the truck with these kind of, of people in it, the county employees, driving away. And I knew there was not a chance we were catching it in our bike, our four-seater bike. There was not a chance. And so you know what I did? I hopped out. I wish I could show you the video. And I began sprinting after this thing, probably for 20 seconds. I was sprinting after this car, flailing my arms, screaming at the top of my lungs, stop, stop. I'm waving. I finally get to the car. I catch up. She rolls down the window. I'm like, can I please take a picture with you? Would you mind? And she's like, was that you screaming? I said, like, yeah, that was me. That was me. She's like, I was wondering who that screaming was. I was like, yeah, that was me. Right? I was flailing. I wasn't slowly jogging after that county employee car. I mean, I was chasing after it. I was pursuing after it with everything I got inside of me. Side note, we won the scavenger hunt, just so you guys know. So it was worth it. It was worth it. Uh, but I, I believe this is a similar idea, right? It can't be a slow jog. It can't be a 50% that we give. It's got to be 100%, a chase, a pursuit after these things, after righteousness, after godliness, after love, after faith, after patience, after meekness. It's not going to happen magically. You're not going to wake up one morning and you just somehow so patient. You're not going to uh, mysteriously become so full of love. That's not gonna, it's not going to happen on accident. It's going to take some work. It's going to take a chase, a pursuit after these things. So, first of all, what we must flee from. Secondly, what we must follow after. It's not enough just to avoid the wrong. We have to pursue what's right. And then finally, I see this, who we must focus on. If we're going to focus in the fight that God has called us to, who it is we must focus on. If you look at verse number 12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession. Verse 14, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, 
until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's challenging Timothy, but I believe this is a challenge that all believers need to take. That if we want to keep, uh, if we want to fight this fight blameless and unrebukable, then we must be focused on the right person. He challenges Timothy. He says, lay hold on eternal life. It's the idea of seize or catch. Catch a hold of eternal life. Don't forget where it is you're going to spend eternity one day. I think we, we think of, all right, one day I get to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven, but we don't have to wait till we die to begin to live like it, right? We can live in light of eternity right now. We can live in light of eternity right now. And so Paul is saying, I don't want you to forget who it is you need to focus on. And if you'll focus on the right things, if you'll focus on eternity, that one day I'm spending forever with my Savior, forever with my Redeemer in heaven, if you focus on the fact that Jesus died for me, and that one day I get to spend eternity with Him, it's going to change how I live down here. To illustrate, I get to coach a junior high flag football team, and I actually assistant coach with the high school flag football team. One of the things I get to do is I get to set up drills for these guys. And so we, we play at this park. It's not even painted. You have to set up the field, um, and you try to make it symmetrical and even. And so what, what you have to do is, is you have to set up these cones. And I try to get these cones in as straight a line as possible. And I've learned from my experience that the best way to do it is if you set a cone right there at the end. If you set a cone right at the end, and then you keep your eyes fixed on that cone, you begin to walk, and you count your paces, and then you drop the cone. And you keep your eyes fixed on the cone, and you drop the cone. You drop the cone all the way to the end. You'll look back, and it'll be a straight line. It'll be a straight line. I told you I learned from experience. This is what happens often when I try and set these things up, is I'm, I'm looking at this cone, and I take a step, and I'm walking, and all of a sudden, the guys start making jokes and start dying laughing. I, and I get my eyes off, and I, I begin to look what they're doing. And I get my eyes back on the cone, and then all of a sudden, I'm walking, and there's a divot right there. And, I, and I, I look at the divot, I'm walking, and all of a sudden, there's a fly in my face. And I'm swatting the fly. And I get back here to this cone, and I look back, and it's a crooked line. And I say, what in the world? How, how did I not stay on the path? Why is it not straight? Why is it not straight? It's because I didn't keep my eyes fixed on the cone. And I think similarly, in our Christian life, we do the same thing. We've got our eyes fixed on Jesus. We've got our eyes fixed on eternity. And we begin to walk, and then the wrong people begin to clamor, and we take our eyes off, and we're with the wrong people. And then maybe we get back on the cone, and we're walking, and then the wrong priorities. We begin to look over here, and then we get back on the cone, and the wrong view of possessions. We're over here, and we get back to the end of our life. And we say, how did I get so far off the path? Why is it all crooked? Why didn't I stay on the straight and narrow? And this is what Paul is saying, I believe. I want you to stay focused on the right person. I know these people's heads are getting tired of watching me turn. But one more time, I want you to stay focused on the right person. And you're walking, and discontentment begins to clamor, and you say, no, I'm good, because I'm fixed on Jesus. And, and the wrong people begin to clamor for your attention. You say, no, I'm good, because I'm fixed on eternity. And you begin to look, and, and, and you need this new thing. You say, no, I'm good, because I'm fixed on Jesus. And as we look back at our life, we stayed on the path. We stayed on the straight and narrow. It's not crooked. We didn't get off. We didn't get distracted. We didn't err in our faith, because we were fixed on the right person. 
We were fixed on eternity. Some closing thoughts. I'm almost done. But for us believers, we have the hope of eternal life. We are going to spend eternity with Jesus one day. But it's so easy. In fact, it's the natural thing for us to get off the path. It's the natural thing for us to take our eyes off of Christ and put it on the things that we don't have. It's so easy for us to take our eyes off of Christ and begin to get involved with the wrong people. And three, three divisions of how we can focus in the fight. First of all, what we must flee from. We've got to flee the wrong people. We've got to flee the wrong priorities. We've got to flee the wrong view possessions. What we must follow after, understanding that it takes work. It's a pursuit. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not the natural thing for us to just randomly be godly and randomly be full of faith and randomly be patient and have love like Jesus loved us. That's not the natural thing. It takes some work. But I'm not just going to flee from the wrong. I'm going to pursue what's right. And then finally, who we must focus on. If we do not actively pursue growth in our walk with God, it will not happen. It will not happen. That's the truth. If we are not pursuing it, it will not happen. And so it is a pursuit. It is a chase. You know what? I may get off the path, but, but I'm getting back on, on Jesus. I think about the song. I think we sung it last week. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I don't know who this spoke to. Maybe it's just me, but, but maybe some of us need to turn our eyes back to Jesus. Maybe we've gotten distracted. Maybe we've begun to be consumed with the things of this world. And it's time for us to turn our eyes back to Jesus. One final quote, quote is this. We will flee the wrong things and follow the right things when we are focused on the right person. We will flee the wrong things and follow after the right things when we are focused on the right person. So I don't know what it was today that maybe spoke to you, but here's, that's the challenge. Stay focused in the fight. Flee the wrong things. Follow the right things. And you can do it when you're focused on the right person. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.